Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, I do want to welcome you this Easter weekend. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome those watching uh, in our campuses, Issaquah, Duval, Woodenville, Bothell, and Castle Rock, as uh, we really celebrate uh, what God has done for us uh, this weekend. Now, I don't know about you. I know we come from uh, different backgrounds. I, I wasn't raised going to church, so I never uh, went to a, a church service growing up. Uh, but I want to just maybe ask a few more innocuous questions. Uh, how many of you, uh, when you were growing up, you got chocolate bunnies as a kid? You go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, now how many of you got solid bunnies because your parents loved you? Now, how many of you got hollow bunnies? Yeah, you've been in therapy for a while, haven't you? Uh, all you got to do, I've done that to my kids, you just say, Hey, it's just like the tomb, the empty tomb, and uh, they don't buy that very much. Uh, how many of you went on Easter egg hunts as a kid? Go ahead. All right. Uh, how many of you had kids steal your candy on an Easter egg hunt? Yeah, that happened to me. Uh, I remember my first Easter egg hunt. We went to St. John of the Woods uh, Catholic Church. You might ask, were you Catholic? No, we actually never even went to a service, but we heard they were giving out free food. It was hidden in the lawn. And so uh, we went there, and what I, my first impression of church was that's where people steal your candy, and that was it. Uh, now, how many of you would be so bold to admit Maybe once as a little kid, you might have taken someone else's candy. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, ushers, watch these people during the offering. Uh, they're a dangerous crew. Uh, well, you might wonder, uh, what does uh, bunnies and chocolate have to do with Jesus? Well, I love uh, all the traditions around Easter and everything around it, but the truth is uh, not much. Uh, yet for some of us, the practical question, and this is what we're going to get to if you're uh, taking notes on our outline uh, right away, is what does Easter have to do with real life? And you might think this is a, uh, a crass question or an impolite question. It's actually a very biblical question. If you look at the scriptures, uh, a lot of those are answering uh, people who would have questions like these. And how does it really apply to my life today? Uh, there's uh, a man that God used, Apostle Paul. First he was anti-God, and then he really came uh, to follow Jesus. And he said this uh, to people who were asking questions like this. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. And then he says, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And you think about that, that's an incredible statement uh, that he's making, that God would bring to bear the same power uh, of the resurrection to our lives. Well, to, to understand that, first we have to really look at what is uh, the pivotal event that the Bible 
is pointing to. The great thing is you don't have to worry about fake news or anything like that. When it comes to the scripture, it's very clear on this one event. In fact, most of the Bible, if you're not a Bible person, uh, I, I, was, I certainly wasn't for uh, the years that I was growing up. Uh, I didn't realize that almost all of the Bible is, uh, the center section is about Jesus' life, and most of those accounts, at least about a third of them, are the last week of the life of Jesus. And they all tell the same story from a different perspective. And then uh, Paul, who I talked about earlier, uh, he sort of summarizes this as well. We read this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. The, the apostle Paul is basically saying this. Uh, he's saying, I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. Now, a little bit of context here, uh, just to get uh, what he's saying. Uh, there were about 100,000 people who lived in Jerusalem on a permanent basis at that time. More would come for festivals. And this was about uh, 20 years or so this was written uh, after the events that the Bible talks about. And he's saying that in the city of 100,000, there's about 500 people, most of them you can talk to about this event that occurred. And that's what we're celebrating uh, this Easter, the event that uh, really about half of the earth will celebrate as we understand what it means uh, that God would bring his power to bear in your life and mine. Well, what does God give us the power to have? The first thing is he gives us the power to have a reasonable faith. We're not here celebrating that winter is over because let's face it, in Washington State, it's never over, and uh, uh, we're not here celebrating uh, Easter bunnies, and we have fun, and we do egg hunts, and that is awesome. We're here celebrating an event that changed everything for everyone. Now, see, Jesus, uh, it's not just that he made some certain claims. There are people throughout history who made claims uh, that they were the Messiah, the Savior. There was a man named Simon of Perea. He led a rebellion against the Romans uh, just a few years before Jesus, and then he died. And in the 1900s, there was a, a spiritual leader named uh, George Baker. He was also known as Father Divine, and uh, he made the claim to be God but he died in 1965, and Jose Luis de Jesus, uh, in 2005, he claimed to be the second uh, incarnation of Jesus, but eight years later, he died, and then there was Morgan Freeman and Bruce Almighty. Uh, I'm worried for Morgan's soul. I just want to let you know that. Uh, but, but, but all these people made claims but when they died, they stayed dead. Have you noticed, I mean, this is sort of bad news in a way that when you die, you tend to stay dead. And so that's why this was so significant in history. See, over the years, there'd been hundreds 
uh, if not thousands of people uh, who started movements and uh, they gathered up steam for a while. They said that they would change the world, that maybe they were God, they were the Messiah. But then after the leader dies, the movement collapses. People go home with their heads down, sort of, well, sort of like, have you been to a Mariners game this season? <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> sorry. In a lot of ways, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> uh, but it, people were disappointed because the promise wasn't fulfilled. Now, if you're a little fuzzy on Jesus' life, if, uh, my guess is uh, a lot of you, you, you might have been raised in church or Sunday school. Again, I, I never had that uh, growing up. First time I ever heard about Jesus was on the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas special. And so that was really my church education growing up. Well, Jesus, for the first 30 years of his life, uh, he keeps, uh, we don't know much about him. We know he lived uh, his life. And, but then the last three years of his life, he starts to reveal who he is. A lot of people, when they think of Jesus, they sort of think he's like the ancient version of Mr. Rogers. He's uh, teaching everyone to be uh, kind and uh, to be nicer and more loving. Uh, But people don't kill you for that. He said that I am the Messiah, I'm God in the flesh. In fact, uh, historians, and I've said this before, both Christian and non-Christian, any serious historian would know that he was killed for blasphemy because he said that not only was he human, obviously, but that he was God and that he he would prove this claim by he he would rise again from the dead three days later. In fact, it's sort of interesting if if you read the Bible. It doesn't begin once upon a time in a land far, far away. Uh, We read in uh, in the Bible, it says, uh, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So this this is really important, especially if you study philosophy. Uh, There's some philosophical truths, but this is not philosophy. This is saying we've seen it, we've we've experienced it, and so we know that it's true. Now, if you think of uh, this from a reasonable perspective, I I just always uh, think of faith, that we can have a reasonable faith. Uh, you, can, you can visit the places. We took over 40 people to Israel and we can see where Jesus lived, all these archaeological discoveries. Never has one disproved anything in the Bible, only they've confirmed it over the years. But, it, but if you think of it, too, from the eyewitnesses who, who gave their lives saying, no, we saw Jesus rise from the dead and we're not gonna change our story. But then, I, I don't know, then this is just me. Uh, I'm, I'm a simple guy. When did it become more reasonable to say uh, the world and the universe is an accident or that I can become God or, you know, that I have uh, some, you know, ancient spirit that's inhabiting my body? When When did that become more reasonable than there's a creator God who would engage with us and that that he would be uh, holy that he would not be evil, and in that he would want to maintain that, that there would want to be justice. If you ever want justice, God wants justice. But then again, 
What about when we don't get things right? Would he be merciful? Would he provide a, a way for mercy as well? And so how do you reconcile these things together? And the Bible says that this is reconciled in Jesus Christ. Now, if you, if you don't believe these things, it doesn't mean you're bad or dumb. I, I don't believe that. I, I would just say, would you think it's a reasonable step? So oftentimes we think of faith. There's a difference between faith and wishful thinking. Faith is saying, uh, I, I have my experience. I look at you know, the history, and, and I'm using my intellect, and I, I get to the edge of what I know, and I take one more step. Wishful thinking is, I hope something might happen. But, it, but it's reasonable faith. And then also we see it's persistent joy, uh, that we have that power. Many of us, uh, you know, we don't think that God really, he cares about that. Or that's like uh, the old show. Now this is, you have to be way old to know this, like me. If any of you would admit you saw the show, Let's Make a Deal? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you for the senior special at four. <laughs> yeah, but at the, uh, no, I remember this show. And uh, there's a, so, and sometimes we act like that with God. That God really, it, it, we can appease him, but he's really not interested in our joy. I mean, even, uh, I hate to admit it, even me. So uh, pastor, you know, all of that, and uh, my wife and I, uh, we're going to the hospital. My wife went through some stuff, and she was going uh, to the hospital to have a procedure done. She's doing way better now. But this procedure, they wanted us to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so we had to get up real early. Uh, I'm there in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wearing uh, my sweatshirt, all of that, and we're rushing out of the house. We're running a little bit late. I won't tell you whose fault it is, but we were running a little bit late. And, uh, <laughs> but when someone's having surgery, you can't get on them for being late. Uh, so uh, so, so we're, we're, we're going in. No one else is there. And I, I feel uh, in my pockets uh, I feel uh, my cell phone, I always check for my cell phone and my wallet. I didn't feel my wallet, and I'm like, ah, I think I had it, but maybe I left it in the car, and since she needs surgery, I don't think it's time to say, hey, can I look for my wallet now? So, uh, so uh, she goes in, and everything's okay, and we're working through that, and I'm like, can I go back to the car? I can't find it in the car. I look, and I have my uh, bag, my computer bag. It's not there. It's, it's ever, so now I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just had one of those moments, and I left it at home or something like that, and so I go home, and I look all over the house. for. I, I look everywhere uh, frantically, and uh, my wife is recovering, and here I am. I'm worried about this wallet because I'm the type of person who uh, I don't have a lot of money usually in my wallet. Uh, but there were some things, and I was giving money to the kids. So I went in the wall, and I remember, because I, I had just taken like $300 out of the ATM. And so there's like $300 in my wallet. And my wife says, well, why don't you go back? Maybe someone found it. Well, where I grew up, <laughs> if someone finds a wallet with like 20s sticking out of it, <laughs> there is, uh, you know, is a, is a lot easier to believe in, you know, the resurrection than you would see that wallet again. And so, uh, but I, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't live there anymore. I'm, you know, I'm over here on the east side. Maybe someone, uh, uh, turn. and so I go, I, I really was just going through the motions to make my wife happy. 
And uh, so, so I go in the parking garage, I ask the attendant, uh, has anyone found a wallet? He said, no, you know, no surprise. Uh, and so I, I love everyone, but I don't trust everyone. And so I said, uh, hey, is, was there anyone else working? He goes, oh yeah, there were some people. So I go inside and uh, the lady says, oh, we found a wallet. And she says, we found a Toomey wallet. I don't know what a Toomey wallet is. Evidently, it's sort of an expensive wallet. And I'm like, it sounded expensive, and I know I don't buy anything that's expensive, so it couldn't be my wallet. But then I remembered someone gave me that wallet, and evidently, they spent a lot of money. And I'm sorry, I should have sent a thank you note. So, uh, uh, so because <laughs> it was like, you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but I went there, and it, it, it was complete. And it was there. And all of, you know, because the whole time, I was like making deals with God. I'm like, okay, God, you know, if, if that wallet's there, I'll do these things. I won't do these things. And I literally, I mean, I should know better, but I'm making deals with God. And then finally, I get my wallet. And so I say, oh, Lord, you don't need to bother. I found it. And the... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did say that. So, <laughs> see, the funny thing is, is a lot of us, um, we really don't believe that God has our best interests at heart. And we almost sometimes believe that uh, faith is an antonym of joy. But Jesus he said this when he was talking about his life and what he came to do. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And to me that makes sense because there's times where I, things are working in my life. I have a great wife and great kids and, and I love the church. I love everything that God's doing. And, and sometimes I start to get into my way and my thinking and just what I'm doing, and there seems to be something that's missing. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have joy and that, that it would be complete in your life. And sometimes we feel that things are incomplete and we'll go down so many roads to try to make it complete. And like, again, it doesn't mean you're dumb. It doesn't mean you're bad. But it means that, that God has something for you. And so would you believe or would you maybe take a step of faith and say, God, if you have something for me, if you have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, if that can be true in me, then I want that. And what that, you know how that's possible? Is through uh, his generous compassion, God's generous compassion. And with that, he'll give us uh, that kind of compassion as well. Would you agree uh, that we need more compassion in the world? Yeah. If you don't agree, just try to like get on a United Airlines flight and stay when it's overbooked. <laughs> the uh, too soon, too soon. Yeah. Okay. The uh, <laughs> I I I I'm not a good pastor. Sometimes they. Uh, <laughs> So, so here, here's, here's the, the thing, is I think sometimes we fret about our failures, which by the way, that's good. To be aware of your, your failures and your sin, that's, a, that's not a totally bad thing. But the problem is, is when we stay in that place and we think that's the end all. I'll have, I'll have 
people come to me all the time and, and they'll say, you know, hey Ben, I'm uh, struggling with this anger and I yell at my kids or it's you know, an issue with alcohol or you know, how I'm handling my sexuality and, and all this stuff that you people deal with. So, no, and uh, the, the truth is, is the, pro, the solution is usually, so what can I do to change? Well, there, there's steps and there's accountabilities and all that kind of stuff. But it, would you allow Jesus to become so big in your life that it not only changes what you do, but it changes what you want to do? And see, see the, the truth is we, we spend so much time on these self-improvement programs instead of going into the grace of God where God says, yeah, I see that and I love you. You don't need to hide it. In fact, there's no healing in hiding. And God has a generous compassion. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he looked at the people who were killing him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And Jesus, he wants to give us that same level of compassion. He wants to be present like that in your life, in mine. You know, the crazy thing is, so I get it, because we've all been there, is sometimes we feel like we don't think we deserve it. I mean, I don't know if you uh, remember the story of Elizabeth Smart, and she was by horrible people taken captive, and, and, and her father was pleading with, for her release, and, and uh, it was months, months later in uh, Utah that a, a police officer spotted her, and she had what, what they call the Stockholm Syndrome, where you sort of become identified with your uh, captors, and uh, she, she, she said, I know who you, she said to the police officer, I know who you think I am, uh, but I'm not Elizabeth Smart. And the police officer was just, uh, had great perspective and he was kind. And he looked her in the eye and he said, I know who you are, you're Elizabeth Smart and your parents love you very much. And he showed her the poster and he said, you're lost and I've come here to take you home. And she, finally at that moment, she started to cry, and she said, no, that's, that is who I am. And she had been sort of stuck. And I think in a very real way, spiritually, and that we can feel stuck. And what, what God really wants for us is to give us that same power, and that same power includes a real peace. The Bible talks about that as a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus, as he approached the last week of his life, he knew what he was gonna do and what was going to be done to him, and he knew what the immediate circumstances looked like, and he wanted his followers to look beyond those. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give. I don't give you as the world gives. See, when Jesus, he rose from the dead, he, he gave us these things. He gave us the ability to do more than we could even imagine. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There, uh, 
There are some folks I know in our church, we have, you know, uh, I think uh, 50 at least different countries represented that I know personally, people who come from everywhere, every culture, every background, and probably it's more than that. And uh, talking to some of the Egyptian people this last week who attend our church, and, and we've, we've invested tens of thousands of dollars last year alone in, in ministries to help some of the orphans with some of the violence that have happened uh, there. And of course, you know that uh, last weekend that there were bomb attacks killing Christians senselessly for, for no reason, 44 people killed and 100, more than 100 wounded. And uh, the Christian community, uh, they, they can never share their faith. Blasphemy laws will end you in prison. It could, you could end up dead. And, but they were asked to come on these TV shows, some of the, uh, the victims or people who had lost loved ones. And, and what's happened over the last number of days has been incredible because there are these people who, because who, this is not natural. This is not natural unless God does this. They would go on and they say, I just want the people to know who did these horrible things that I forgive them. And person after person, and I pray for them that they will not have hate in their heart anymore. And it just causes this incredible curiosity of that's so different than what I thought, what I believed. I want that. And see, oftentimes we think that Jesus came to teach peace. He did that a little bit. But here's what the Bible says. For he himself is our peace. That peace comes in his person. And I don't know where this finds you this, this Easter weekend as we have this great celebration. But I want you to know this is that God doesn't want you to just learn. He wants to be present in your life. He wants you to have that peace. In fact, uh, I heard uh, the story recently of uh, Michaela goes to our uh, Duval campus and uh, as she really life was working out in so many ways, a lot of success. But it was sort of that, that joy that was incomplete and there was that peace part missing. And uh, I, I just want you to hear how she experienced that in her story. Hi, my name is Michaela, and I've been attending Timberlake for six and a half months. Well, I actually grew up on a 400-acre horse, pig, and cattle ranch in Minnesota. When we were eight, my mom moved us to Chicago. That's where I'd lived all my life. I went to high school there. I went to college there. Jesus wasn't really a factor in my, my life. And then I moved to California on a whim because I was 22 and not gonna listen to anyone. So I can remember getting off the plane at LAX and it was 62 degrees in January. And coming from a harsh Chicago winter, I was like, whoa, this is paradise. And it like kind of was paradise back then. After a couple years in Los Angeles, I started working in marketing. And that mainly led to me working in film and entertainment as well as hip hop. I think, you know, I was in LA for over 13 years and there was just, there came a point when I was like, I was angry, I was bitter, I was tired. I just kind of had a breakdown one day. Uh, a recent piece that I'd read by John Galliano where he was like, I was spiritually and emotionally bankrupt. The words, when I read it, the word spiritually 
and morally bankrupt just just like struck a heart chord. I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. I am spiritually dead. So I I went to church that weekend. You know, while it didn't end up becoming my home, the one thing I took away from it was, okay, I, I need I need a relationship with God. And I now need to figure out what that looks like. And, you know, I think the hardest thing in developing the relationship was learning that I could not do that on my own. Um, to about 15 months ago where I came to Seattle for uh, a business trip and got off the plane at SeaTac and I, and, I, and I knew without a doubt that I needed to live in Washington. One weekend I was in Duval and I drove by the Timberlake Duval campus. So I went home and I researched uh, the campus and yeah, I realized it was part of a larger network. So I decided to go next Sunday. The first thing I noticed is that there was a pretty diverse crowd going into the building. So there were couples with kids, there were also some singles, and there were a lot of um, different races. So that made me feel very comfortable as a mixed race woman. So <laughs> I think the, the fear of the walk-in was immediately um, it immediately dissipated. People were kind and courteous and genuinely wanting to talk to you. I'd been coming to Timberlake for about, you know, four months. And I remember that um, the campus pastor, Jeff, was speaking that day. And at the end of his sermon, he asked us if we wanted to accept Jesus into our hearts and our lives. And to do that, all we had to do was look up and make eye contact with him during prayer. So I did, and I raised my hand just a little bit because I not only wanted to accept Jesus into my heart, but I also wanted to make Timberlake my home. Jesus is to me, he's, he's a calm in the storm. He's peace, he's peace in my mind, he's peace in my heart, and he really is ultimately, um, he's my salvation. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.